0: Okay, guys, welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we are coming to you, as is the norm, uh, from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Uh, we are in a new study. Uh, this is the Gospel of John. This will be our second installment for the Gospel of John. If you missed last week, uh, you can go back to the YouTube channel, which you're now viewing, and you can catch that. There's, if you look, uh, you can scroll down, you'll see Men's Bible Studies, or just go up to the playlist and click on that, and you'll see the Men's Bible Studies there. Uh, and you can go back and pick up any that you've missed, Uh, so if you missed last week, uh, no problem, you can stay caught up with us. Uh, If you missed uh, the last study, which was the Pursuit of Holiness, you can go back on the YouTube channel. You can go to the podcast channel. But if you if you ever want to go back to anything that we've studied, and I've, I've got some emails this week, people saying, can you suggest some other studies that we can go back and catch that we may have missed? Uh, you can find all those at BurgessMinistries.com. And then if you'll just click on the listen button right there, uh, you'll see uh, the last uh, at least three of the four years that we've been in here. Uh, so, uh, so we always try to make that available to you. Uh, if you'd like for those alerts to come up, just start following on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Channel. It's free. Subscribe there and you get an alert uh, when the new Bible study is there. Same thing on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe. Again, that's free uh, and it will be there for you. So uh, we're going to uh, so open in a word of prayer, make a, uh, maybe one quick announcement, and then we're going to jump into the Gospel of John, our second installment today. Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that your presence... As, as we have sensed in here so many times, Lord, that your presence join us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you deal with each of us as individuals on, on the things that, that we need to uh, to be refined on. I know that every time this Bible study is presented, there's certainly people that are trying to work out and figure out uh, if they've ever been redeemed by you to try to understand. This is the beauty of going through the Gospel of John, to understand who you are. Maybe it, it's time to revisit that and ask the, the, the difficult question. Uh, it, can I see everything? evidence of you in my life. As we've talked about so many times, Lord, if we don't see evidence of you in our life, it is not because of the lack of your ability to be in our life. It it may be that we just don't know you. We don't have that relationship with you. I pray that you'll continue to draw us to you today. Ask us the tough questions, those kind of questions that may be difficult, questions that may hurt, they may sting, but they just might save our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, for the folks here uh, that are members of Shades Mountain Baptist Church, and of course any of you are always welcome to visit us. Our next man church is coming up uh, in October. to be October the 27th. Uh, Ke- Ke- uh, Kevin Ham will be visiting with us from over at Gardendale First Baptist. Uh, and you will enjoy, if you've never heard him preach, he is fiery. Uh, and he'll be coming and spending some time with us. And he'll definitely give us a challenge. And then we'll plug in to our next round of Bible studies. This Bible study will remain in the the Gospel of John, and we're just going to stay in the Gospel of John until we have completed that. Also, for those of you that enjoyed the last devotion that we did, How to Be a Man, the Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity, don't forget that we have How to Be a Man. The second installment is available now uh, where the first one took on eight characteristics found in the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus that should be applied to any man who desires to be a man of God. This one takes eight men of the Bible, and again goes five days on each man uh, for a 40-day devotional uh, and it is available now by going to rickandbubba.com and just clicking on the store and you can get that if you don't already have it. And it's always something nice to go along with what we're studying. All right. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, we're going to now go into the Gospel of John again. Uh, We're going to start in verse 19 today. And we're going to talk uh, uh, about the person, John the Baptist. Now, again, uh, we, we talked about the different roles of the of the Gospels last week. If you missed that, go back. Hopefully you made some notes. I would strongly encourage you to bring something to these Bible studies to take notes. If you can't do that because of work or your hectic schedule, go back to the recordings. Uh, because writing these things down, I can speak to in my own life, really, really make a difference. So we know that uh, that John has established who Jesus is. He's establishing that Jesus is God. He's made that very clear that Jesus has always existed. He made that very clear. And now he's going to document for us. Now, uh, all four of the Gospels document, uh, you know, John the Baptist in different ways, shapes or form. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit today. But here's what John has to say about it, uh, starting in, uh, in John 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, real important question here, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, 24. Now they had sent, they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the, neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of those sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So uh, this is just John saying, I just want to recap what happened. We had John the Baptist there. Now this was very, very common uh, for the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. It was very common if they heard something going on, somebody's declaring something, uh, we don't know who this person is. Uh, and, they, and, and, and rightfully so, they wanted to go out and discern and try to find out, do we have a false prophet here? Because th- there had been many false prophets. If you remember when we studied uh, the book of Acts, uh, what did we have one of the, uh, the Sanhedrin say? Look, we've been here before. Uh, he, he said, we've, we've had others who claim to be Messiah. Uh, he even gave names of others who had come. They had some followers too. Uh, they, they, this turned out not to be true. Hey, it faded away, and we've all been here before. So why don't we give this this church of Acts? Why don't we kind of leave this alone? Uh, and he says, because if God's not in this, it's gonna it's gonna fade away like everything else. But if God is in this, there's nothing we're gonna be able to do to stop it. So this was a very common practice for them to go out and try to figure out uh, was this a false prophet. So let's let's back up a little. A little bit and look at verse 21 and 22, the question, Who are you? Uh, so, when John the Baptist was asked that question, Who are you? and he said, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So, and he said, The prophet Isaiah told you this. So, what he's trying to show them, you're all here. You know what the prophets have said. And if, if you'll go to Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3, and you can make a note of that. I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 40, verse 3, what John the Baptist is telling these religious leaders, you know, Isaiah talked about me. This is me. I'm here I'm the one and and here's what Isaiah said he said a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God now we know that John met the criteria of all this he lived in the wilderness we know that he he wore the camel's hair uh, the other gospels give us more detailed on what he looked like and that he ate locusts and uh, I mean he was he was he was duck dynasty before we ever had it Okay, he, he lived out in the woods and he was he was a rough looking guy. Uh, he was he was a bit of, of an oddity. And he said, I'm out here preparing the way for the Lord. And this is the thing we have to understand as we, those of us in this room or those of you that may be watching and listening, that make the same claim uh, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and people want to come up to you and me and say, who are you? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you say the things that you say? You know, we have to be prepared, as he was, to give an answer that we are here, what? Not for the first coming. John covered that for us. We are here to make straight the way of the Lord for what? The second coming because we know before we're done with this study because we know the Gospels that Jesus Christ gathers us together and says, I have completed what I came to do. I have gone to the cross and I have paid for sin. I am, and we'll get to this, what, what John called him, I have been the last sacrifice. I've walked out and I have, uh, I have, um, you know, uh, of the tomb, I have defeated uh, death. So now that I have taken care of your sin, I've given you eternal life, I've defeated death, which is the penalty of sin. Now I go to prepare a place for you." you, but I am going to come back. And so while I'm gone and until I come back, you now make way, make straight the way of my second return. Let people know this is going to happen. So th- that, that's one thing I want to ask you. And, and I assessed with myself, would you be willing to answer the question when somebody said, well, who are you? Is your, is your identity well, I'm here as a follower of Jesus and I'm advancing his kingdom and I'm doing what he said to do. Uh, And, and if you'll see, you should expect for those of us that are following Jesus to let you know that we're going to make straight the way of the Lord. He will come back and he will take his church. And if you don't become a member of the church, then you're not going to be raptured. You're not going to be taken. And then the wrath of, of, uh, of God will come. So he, he's, he's making clear this is, this is who he is now. And, 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 and I know a lot of times I actually went through this one time dealing with someone uh, who uh, was, was trying to say, well, now the Jewish people said that it should be Elijah. And, and if you have your Bible, you know, because they asked him if he was Elijah. That's why I asked him that. Are you Elijah? Uh, because we know that, uh, that Malachi says that Elijah is going to come, you know, and that, that, that's going to make way for Messiah. Well, if you look, Jesus clarified this in Matthew 17. If you have your Bible or, or something with your Bible on it, Uh, And this, thankfully, I was able to go to this and show this person, and this is kind of what they needed to know, that Jesus clarifies that really Malachi was not literally talking about the prophet Elijah. He was talking about there would be an Elijah type. There would be an an Elijah that would come and make straight. uh, It would be a voice crying in the wilderness because Jesus clarifies this uh, when he is talking in Matthew 17. uh, and, And look at verse 10. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? See, they're asking Jesus about it. That's why the Pharisees asked about it. Are you Elijah? Because you're talking that you're making way for Messiah. So are you Elijah? And and then John says, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? No. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness to to, to make straight the way of God, uh, as you found in Isaiah 40. Well, look at what Jesus said. He answered to them in verse 11 of Matthew 17. Elijah does come. And he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they, talking about the religious leaders, did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And look at 13. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. So what he's saying is, no, the Elijah that, that, that was supposed to make straight the way of the Lord has already come. And they didn't recognize him. As a matter of fact, they went on and cut his head off. And so, what's going to happen is the same thing's going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer at their hands as well because they're going to reject me just like just like they rejected John. And uh, and and so and and you know that. Um, one of the great things in, in the other Gospels that, uh, that Jesus said about John, I love John the Baptist, and, uh, and we'll get to, to some of this in a minute, uh, because I think that he, he's a guy who understood, and we'll, get, we'll open this up a minute, he understood what he was called to do, and he did it. Uh, he got a well done from his Lord and Savior. Of course, that didn't take away his suffering, something a lot of us don't want to hear. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that Jesus said about John, that he said that no man born of a woman is greater than John. That's a pretty good endorsement. I mean, if, if John was going to write a book and they say, can you get some celebrity endorsements? He said, i really got a good one. <laughs> On the back, it's going to say that of all the people born of a woman, there's no one greater than me. And it's going to have dot, 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 Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That would be a ringing endorsement. But don't miss what Jesus said, because we're going to get to this in a minute about this baptism. Don't miss what Jesus said. But even the smallest in the kingdom of God will be greater than John. So what he's saying is John had some limitations that, that my church isn't going to have, you know, right now we're sitting here and we're talking into this camera and just at little old Rick and Bubba in Birmingham, Alabama, we are able to just with technology send this message out. And by the time we're done with next week, if you count the podcast and you count, uh, you count the, the views that this is going to get, uh, we'll be get, sitting around five, six thousand people that will watch this Bible study every week. And I never, I never left Birmingham. So he said, come It's going to be a time. My church is going to be able to advance my kingdom without limitation. John had limitations. Even Jesus in his earthly ministry had limitations. That he, he said, but when Pentecost comes, when I hand out the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a game changer. And even the smallest in what's to come can be greater than John. Even though there's no man born of a woman that is greater than John. That's quite a statement. So, so anyway, so, so we get to, to talking to uh, what they're going to say to John next after he clar- clarifies who he is. And then the next thing they want to know, well, if you've told us that you're not Christ, you're not Elijah and you're not a prophet, what are you doing baptizing people? Now, why are they asking that? It was common in that time for someone who was a Gentile that wanted to convert to become Jewish, saying, I I want to now become part of the Jewish faith. Those Gentiles would be baptized by water, uh, symbolic that they were cleaning them so that they now went from unclean to clean. But he was baptizing Jewish people too, And that was not common. And so what they wanted to know, what are you doing baptizing Jews and Gentiles? And so listen, listen to what John, John said about that. He said, um, he said, um, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. And he says, even he who comes after me, the strap of those sandals, I am not worthy to untie these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Well, what was happening is, is when you start getting into to the fact that he's going to be baptizing. Now, if you, if you go to Mark 1, 8, jot that down. Mark 1, 8, John is also documented as saying, I baptize with water, but the one that is coming, he will baptize you uh, with the Holy Spirit. So, first of all, I, we got we to clarify something on baptism, and I, I do not want to start chasing a bunch of denominational things today, but I'm also not going to be afraid just to be truthful. Everything that you find about the word baptism, and you'll see why here in a minute, bab, baptizo is the word in Greek, and that means to immerse. That means to, to take under and, to, and, and then to come up. We also know that in the Gospels it says that when Jesus was baptized, which we'll unpack here in a minute, and uh, and I left something on my desk I need to go get, but we'll unpack this in a minute, is that it says that Jesus came up out of the water. Okay? If you look at the Hebrew word uh, that we use English for baptism, mikveh, I think I'm saying that right, or mikveh, M-I-K-V-E-H, it also means immersion. So, I, I did some study on this. I don't know where anybody ever came up with not immersing people for baptism. One time I thought it might be a water shortage or didn't have enough water somewhere. But I did some research on it. Yes, thank you. Uh, that's, that's huge. Um, thank you, Speedy. Also, the, if, if you look at this, I mean, it's, it's really quite simple. Even when you look at some of the denominations, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. Remember, speedy at rickandbubba.com. <laughs> Everything that I could find, and any of you here that, that certainly know more than I do, you can confirm or say you don't have that right. Even John Wesley and John Calvin immersed. Uh, even though the denominations that kind of stake their claim to them stopped doing it, they themselves immersed every time they baptized somebody. Because that's what the word means. It, it it doesn't mean anything other than immersion, which makes sense because we're dying and we're, we're we're coming to a new life. It it's all pretty. The symbolism of it makes all the the sense in the world. What I gathered from and look, I'm not into saying I'm not anybody's judge. I'm just telling you about if we're going to talk about baptism, I want to tell you what John was doing uh, based on what the scripture says. And, uh, which is a strange concept, but, but, but one of the things that we discovered is it really got to the point that people just didn't want to get wet anymore. If you go back and look at church history, you know, they were saying, well, some of this is, it's obedience, but it is, it, 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 you know, and I certainly would agree. I, I, I do not believe in a theology. Some of you disagree that that teaches Jesus plus, I, I can't find that anywhere in the scripture that it's Jesus plus anything. Are, should we all be baptized? Absolutely. You know why? Because we're told to. And Jesus gives us the example, which we're going to unpack. He himself was baptized to show us that this is what he expects us to do. And it also explains in Matthew when he says, anybody who does not, you know, acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before the father. Anybody who denies me before man, I will deny before the father. Once again, this is our public announcement of what's happened in our life. And we do this out of obedience to Jesus. Some of you think it's more than that, and I, that's, not, I'm not, that's another day I'm certainly not going to take that argument on. I'm just going to tell you, and I want you to document that I'm saying that according to Scripture, we should all be baptized. But what I discovered was the sprinkling and some of this stuff really came from just convenience. People didn't want to get wet. And so they had, their, they had their Sunday clothing on like they liked it, and they, they didn't want to get messed up. They didn't want to have to change clothes. And we just started accommodating people who said, I want to get up here and acknowledge that I belong to Jesus, but I don't want to be, I don't want to get dumped. And so we start sprinkling them. Most of what I found in church history points to that than anybody ever disagreeing on what baptizo and and mikvah or mikvah means. You know why? It means immersion. And everything in scripture says that when Jesus said, here's how you do it, that he was immersed so that's all I'm going to say on that. And also you won't find anything in Scripture about baby baptisms. You certainly can dedicate your child to the Lord, and I would highly suggest that. But but nobody can achieve salvation by throwing water on them when they're a little baby. That's something that was added. That, that, there's nowhere, that's nowhere in Scripture. And if that bothers you, you can take that up with Speedy. So, so... Um, Certainly we want, to, we want to praise the Lord, we want to worship the Lord, and we certainly want to dedicate our children to the Lord and make a promise that we're going to raise them in the faith. Absolutely. But if somebody sprinkled you when you were a baby and you've never submitted your life to Jesus Christ and repented and acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior, you haven't experienced salvation. And you probably noticed that in your life because probably that sprinkling of you and a baby hasn't created a lot of change, has it? So, so that, that, that's the key to that. So let's talk about, even though it's not covered here, it is, the reason why John's not covering it is he knows that the three other gospels have already covered. If you talk about the timeline we talked about last week, he's not covering that Jesus was baptized by John. And boy, you talk about having some fun with something, try to get all the commentary on that. So why in the world is Jesus being baptized by John if he's sinless? He certainly doesn't need to experience salvation. Uh, and, and so, and, and John himself uh, looks at him, and that's not in the Gospel of John. That's why I want to tell you about it, because he's going to mention about how he knew that Jesus was Messiah. And that actually took place when he was being baptized by John. John didn't want to baptize him. He said, hey, I, I got to get out of the water, or hey, you baptize me. And very similar, if you remember this, remember Peter on the washing of the feet? You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if you don't let me wash your feet, then... You're never going to be right with me. And then he said, well, i tell you what, then just, then, then just wash my whole, I mean, just dump water all over me then. But what Jesus, is and, and if you look, you'll find different commentaries on why Jesus was, was baptized and, and allowed John to do this. But I'm going to, I'll hit you with some of the things that I think make the most sense. And i talked to some other guys that I trust and, and we're all on the same page that we think if you hit these high points, you pretty much encompass all the different commentaries. First of all, to identify with us, to identify with sinners. Uh, Jesus voluntarily voluntarily chose to stand in solidarity with sinners. He identified himself with the people he came to save. The sinless one chose to put himself alongside the sinful ones. Through his act of baptism, he demonstrates his willingness to take on a servant's role and identify himself with his people in their sin in order that he might put their sin away through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. So it's showing us his preparation for what he is going to do. It was so funny because, you know, I tell you all the different places that I try to go and get commentary, and one of them is my wife, and she goes, well, it says he did that to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah, I know, baby, but people are going to want to know what we mean by that. (laughs) Well, the Bible says he did it to fulfill all righteousness. Is that not good enough for you? I said, well, it is, honey, but what does that mean? We're going to have to talk more about that. And so, but with her permission, I actually went to look at some other commentary instead of me just telling you it says to fulfill all righteousness. So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, and you 'll find this in matthew three thirteen through fifteen some of the things i 'm mentioning so in verse verse fourteen and fifteen Matthew actually and so does Mark, and so does Luke talks about Jesus being baptized, and this exchange between Jesus and John the Baptist clearly clearly states the sinlessness of Jesus. Clearly, just just looking into Jesus' face, John could see his righteousness of Jesus and he, he saw his own unworthiness. And keep in mind it says, I is an intensive pronoun used only when emphatic. And John is emphatic that he should be baptized by Jesus. I should be baptized by Jesus and not the other way around. And this is important. And I love this. Jesus never disagreed with John on that. He, he never said, hey, man, you're, you're, you're not a bad guy. I talked to him. I told everybody there's nobody born of a woman better than you. Don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, he, never, he never said, no, 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 you're, you're wrong about that. Jesus completely agreed that John had no business baptizing him, and that he should be baptized by Jesus. But uh, what he was doing, once again, was he was doing what was fitting according to Scripture to fulfill all righteousness. That he, he must become totally obedient to God. Remember, I came here what to fulfill the will of my Father. Being baptized is what Jesus was to do to meet the moral demands of God's will. Because remember, what kind of baptism had been going on? What was it? It was a baptism of repentance. Uh, it was to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And here was Jesus saying, uh, This is what all should do. Also, if you want to cross reference that, look at Isaiah 53 11 out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall be the righteous one. My servant uh, make, makes he, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. So Jesus is the righteous one and through his death and resurrection he puts away our sins and he can build the kingdom of God. So to fulfill all righteousness and make us righteous in the eyes of God. He's saying, I'm going to show you what will fulfill all righteousness. And that's what I'm about to to do. He, he's publicly show, showing this is what's about to happen and he's also identifying with us as sinners and of course he is showing us the next thing is he's connecting this baptism with his death on the cross. Luke documents documented it this way and write this down Luke 12:50. I have a baptism to be baptized with, Jesus. I know oh how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's also saying, this is what's about to happen to me. He stood in those waters for each one of us as He went to the cross and died for each one of us. But then He emerged out of the waters as a picture and prophecy of His resurrection. Look at Romans 6, 3 and 4. This is talking about us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death just as He showed us? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in a newness of of life. So, that's the reason why in a minute you're going to see this sign. So, so, here's how John the Baptist dealt with, why are you baptizing with water? And he said this, he realized that the water baptism... What he had been performing until Jesus showed up was an external rite, a mere outward symbol of what the promised one would perform. He knew that only Christ would be able to supernaturally renew a person from within. John says, I am doing a baptism of repentance to Jews and Gentiles because we're going to do this until I see him. I'm preparing you for him. Because he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So I'm preparing you to be ready to receive him. And this is important because don't miss this much bigger point. This is important. If you are depending on, on some kind of religious or moral external, something external, some kind of rite, some kind of ritual... Uh, maybe something along this. Maybe you're saying, this, this, is go- this is going to be an external of my life and it's going to save me. Church attendance isn't going to save you. Uh, confirmation, some little thing we gather. Hey, I'm getting confirmed today. That ain't going to save you. Uh, how about this? Communion's not going to save you. Should we do it? Absolutely. What? To remember what Jesus did, but it ain't going to save you. All these little things that we do as worship or we do as rituals, none of these things are going to save you. And John is making that clear too. Let me tell you what we need. The inner spiritual baptism of Jesus Christ, the other things. And I love this in one of the commentaries I saw these other rituals you do in Jesus. Plus anything are doing this in the place of Jesus. They will simply be hollow, futile attempts to save yourself. That's all they are. It's the inner baptism that must take place. We must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We, we, we got to be redeemed. And the only person that can redeem us is Jesus Christ. Don't forget what Paul said in, to Ephesus, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And we have talked about that a lot, right? That we have been saved by grace through faith, but that faith is action. And this is not from yourselves. Again, you're not, you can't, Hey, you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. This is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, we spend a lot of times on that because a lot of time on that because some people do not read this part of Ephesians all the way through. He's, he's just saying we're not saved by anything that we do. He does not go on to say that once you're saved, you don't have anything to do. Because listen to this, read the rest of it, read the rest of it. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He gives us the power for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So are we supposed to have results of our salvation? Absolutely. Do these things earn us salvation? No, we're saved by grace through faith. But our faith is a faith of action, which once again, if you really want to take the kind of grace and the power we've been talking about, if you really want to understand what John 3, 16, when we we get there, says anyone who believes in him, the the type of belief that leads to salvation is a belief that trusts and obeys. I trust you change me and then I obey because I love you. So I love this part. When John goes on in verse 26, look what he says in verse 26. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. By the way, this doesn't go over real big with the religious leaders, because now he's saying, I, I'm nothing to worry about. But there's one, that's, there's one to worry about. And, and he's already among us. I'm waiting for God to show me who he is. But you don't know him. So this is a question that we have to ask each other. Do you know Jesus? I mean, could somebody say to you, look, Jesus is all around. Jesus has been presented to you. You have some idea who he is, but do you truly know him? And I love his humility and his his humility in verse 27. Look at John's humility as an example to us. Even he who comes after me, the strap of those sandals, of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Well, that's humility right there. He's strong. Think about how strong he is. You know, because what, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist, which I look, what did you expect to find? Some reed that blows in the wind. You didn't find that when you ran into John. He was immovable and he was strong. So strong it got his head cut off. But he was humble to realize I'm not Jesus. And you'll see this in a minute. He really shows humility. And, and, and this, this is the thing. And that's the one thing we got to understand. Look, of all the things that maybe the, uh, that God has allowed us to accomplish, let me tell you, none of us are anything without Jesus. I don't care how great you think you are, how many things you've done, how important the world says you are. You you shouldn't be doing it to be recognized. John was not, you know what John was here to do? And he'll make this very clear as we continue. I'm here to glorify him. I'm here to prepare the way for him. He's the one. And you'll see the example of this coming up. It is not me. And uh, when he talks about that, he was baptizing. This is, I don't know why I just, this is one of those things where I'm just going to throw you with what I learned studying this. There's really, not a lot of relevance, uh, relevance to this. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is kind of cool when the Bible just shows you again that it is a historical document. Now let me tell you where this was going on. And I love those little tidbits when they drop stuff like that. But I do want you to know this. This was actually an area. It's not the Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters were from. Uh, the, the commentary says actually in verse 28 where they're talking about is on the east side of the Jordan River just north of the Dead Sea. So, It's actually called uh, Bethabara, but uh, you know how the the biblical places change their names from time to time. When the Bible says Bethany, don't picture this is the one where Lazarus lived. It was actually a different place. So John is fulfilling prophecy and he's baptizing for repentance his ministry was strong, but it was a strong demand for repentance. But he was he was demanding that the people to repent, to prepare the way for Jesus. He said, look, I'm getting you ready because Jesus is going to baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. But you've got to get ready to receive Jesus. Uh, and, and to tell you, if you have your Bibles too, write this down, Matthew three, one through six, Matthew three, one through six. This just tells you more about these guys that were questioning John. It says Sadducees, uh, of course, uh, the priests. They're like a priestly tribe. The Pharisees, which made up the uh, the Sanhedrin or the Great Council, they set these reps and uh, these reps and agents to get to the bottom of all the hype around what Zechariah's son. See, they knew that John was the son of Zechariah, who was a priest. So they're saying, now he's out there making some claims. Now we got to go find out what he's all about because you know what they did not. I like, they didn't like false prophets, but you know what else they didn't like? They didn't really like anything that was new and unusual. Well, what's, what's going on out here? Isn't this Zachariah's boy? He, he's one of us, right? He's, he's, he's a priest. So what, what's his son doing? He's been out in the wilderness. So he hadn't been come, he's coming, he's out there shouting a lot of stuff. He's baptizing Jews and Gentiles. And you know what? Just as God has always done, God chose a man. This needs to be good news for some of you in here. Some of you may be watching and listening, God chose a man who did not fit the norm. He chose somebody a little bit different, a little bit on the edge, a little bit, not, not the guy you would have expected just the way he came was not expected. So now we get to the big moment starting in verse 29. You're ready for this. This is big. Now don't forget when we get to verse, we get to 29, John, one thing you got to know about John the Baptist is that John was a devout Jew. So he knew how to precisely introduce Jesus of Nazareth. He knew how to do it because you know why? John is going to point correctly. If you have your Bible, he's going to point correctly to the Passover lamb. Go to Exodus 12, 1 through 3. Exodus 12, 1 through 3. Keep in mind, John knows how to introduce the final sacrifice because he knows Exodus 12. 12, 1 through 13. I'm sorry, not 1 through 3. So it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month uh, shall be for the uh, beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for, for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to uh, what each can eat you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the, sh- from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And then he goes on to talk about that they'll take some of the, the blood and they'll put it on the two doorposts uh, and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And this is big. Look at 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here is a good Jewish man knowing the prophecy, knowing what had to be sacrificed. Because keep in mind, there's grace in the Old Testament. You know, you do these sacrifices the way God said to do them and he would show you grace. But what John is about to say, this is what I've been preparing. I'm letting you know that once and for all, the final sacrifice has arrived. And you think about all the things that you read. I talked to a Jewish man one day in here that became a follower of Jesus. And he said, I wasn't allowed to read the New Testament. I became a follower of Jesus from the Old Testament because I realized that everything I kept hearing about Jesus met the criteria for us to sacrifice the lambs. Everything he did, even on the day of the crucifixion, happened at the same timeline as the lambs were being sacrificed at the temple. And, you know, you think about even on the on the crucifixion when Jesus is on the cross. And, uh, and I remember the first time I heard this in church, I, it really blew me away. And I didn't and I'd been to Israel, so I didn't understand it. But you notice that when 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 Jesus says, I thirst on the cross, when he's ready to to get his, his, his palate moistened so he can say it is finished to tell us, they actually use a hyssop branch to take the sponge up to Him. And a hyssop branch makes no sense if you're trying to to get something lifted up to a higher place because it's a bush. I mean, I would get like a cane pole or something and say, hey, this will help us. A hyssop branch. Well, guess what the Jewish people were told to use to wipe the blood on, the, on their doorpost? Hissop. A hyssop branch. See, all of this is just prophecy and saying once again, what John is about to say, and here it is in 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, look, to prepare that, that, that he might be revealed to Israel. He was baptizing just like Noah with the ark, just like we talked about, the heroes of the faith in 11. You might as well put John the Baptist there too. I'm going to keep baptizing and baptizing and baptizing. I'm preparing the way for the Lord, and hey, hey, hey Father, I'm waiting on him, I'm waiting on him. I'm going to keep on doing this till you send him to me. And he said, I didn't even know. Think about this. I didn't know my cousin was him. You think John didn't know who was cousin. He, he says right here, I didn't know that it was him. And he said, and John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. That's what the other gospels tell you happened at his baptism. I myself did not know him, but when he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the son of God. Hey, I know now He John says, like I didn't know till I saw the Holy Spirit. Now, I know many times we've had the perfect painting, you know, where, we, where it actually is a literal dove that is on Jesus. Keep in mind, the scripture says it ascended like a dove. It was not a literal dove that flew down and landed on Jesus. What John says, I looked up and the Father allowed me to see. Are you ready for this? The entire Trinity. Woo. I saw the whole Trinity. The Father sent the Son and I was allowed to see the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit said, this is our guy. This, this is our guy. And he said, I got affirmation. So I knew then that the Lamb of God had responded. I mean, had, had arrived. I myself did not know him, but the appearance of the Holy Spirit confirmed. I wonder just on a light-hearted moment, did John have a moment? He goes, my cousin, really? <laughs> just my cousin. And, you know, but keep in mind, John understood everything. Remember when he says he that was, but he that was, you know, before me and and all that. He's talking about that Jesus has always been. He's not talking about any order of birth or, or anything like that. He's talking about that he had existed and was actually God. And this is what I love, too. So now we get to the point that John the Baptist has now completed what he was supposed to do. I'm here to make straight the way of God and I'm here to tell you this is him. Behold the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And then what happened next? Look at 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So now John said, I'm just going to keep saying this to we to, to, to really start. Every time I see him now, I know, Behold the Lamb of God. I'm not going to call him anything else. Now, keep in mind, he's saying this in front of people that are going, why is he calling this guy the lamb? But John said, this this is the final sacrifice. This is it. He's about to fulfill all righteousness. he's, He's about to once and for all. We're about to be done with the old sacrificial system. He's about to fulfill it. Just like the prophet said, this is Messiah. I got news for you. That was a really strong statement to make in front of all these people that knew what he was talking about. So anyway, listen to this great moment. So he's standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said it again, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him and, and, and say this and they follow Jesus. Now think about that. Now this is a guy that does his job well. This is a great leader. You know what he's been telling the whole time? I'm here to make way, to make it straight the way of the Lord. And when he comes, I will decrease, he will increase, and y'all go follow him. So the minute that John says in front of two of his disciples, there goes the Lamb of God. What does it say they did? And they followed him. You know what else this is? And my brother has a statement, and I know that some of you are kind of gripping your chairs at this moment. (laughs) But Greg said, let me tell you what you love about John the Baptist. He knew his role, and then he shut his hole. (laughs) Hey, know your role and shut your hole. Now, how many people today that you know, how many, how many pastors do we see get in trouble? Because instead of it being about Jesus, it becomes about them. I got to make a name for myself. Look look at the books I've got. Look, 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 look at all the things I do. Look at all the TV stations I'm on. And before you know it, it, it's not about Jesus. It's about them. Well, tell me, John the Baptist was not about bringing glory to himself. He understood his role and he shut his hole and he said to his followers, y'all need to go follow him now. Y'all need to go follow him. That's he understood his role and he was not trying to draw people to himself. He was trying to point people to Jesus. I'm going to say that again. And, someone like, like in the, and when I get put in these situations, one, one of the things that, that I have to be careful of is arrogance and pride, where I start thinking I'm making a name for myself. No, my whole role is to do what we do and then point people to Jesus, not to have, not to have people point to me we're not to have people point to us we're to to people to point to jesus john the baptist claimed nothing for himself he was not looking for status he was not he didn't have any issue with ego he understood what he was doing and look at verse 35 now as we move on i'm sorry 37 so the two disciples heard him and, and they said, heard him say that and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned to them. And this is going to be great for us to finish on today. Jesus turned and saw them following him. And he said, what are you seeking? What, what, what a question. That, that, that's the question to lay down in front of us today, guys. What, what are you seeking? Why, why are you coming after me? Now, does anybody think that Jesus didn't know? You know, some, some translations say you could almost say that he turned around and said, what do you want? I like seeking better. That's the the English standard version says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And then he said, come and and you will see. Now let's, let's think about this. Let's, let's land here for a minute to wrap up our day today, because this is worth landing on for a minute. Now, now, first of all, we know that this is Andrew, Peter's brother. And, and we know the other one is John, likely John himself. John was not trying to bring attention to himself by naming himself, but everyone believes that this was likely John who's writing the gospel, and Andrew. And so he asked them, "What are you seeking? And what do you want? What are you seeking?" I mean, this is this is the crucial question before all of us. What are you seeking? So if Jesus is saying this to you and he's saying this to me, what are you seeking? So you're sitting and you're saying, man, I've been, I've been fired up in these Bible studies. I've been fired up about the gospel of John. Hey, Jesus, I got, I, I don't know. I want to be sure that everything with us is right. And Jesus, I'm calling out. I'm, I'm coming over to you right now. And Jesus turns around and says, for what? What are you seeking? Removal of guilt, redemption, sanctification, are you coming after me for wealth? Are you coming after me to solve a problem. You want me to heal you? Think about that. You know, he goes on to say the same thing to the blind man. What do you want me to do? As, as if there was any question. And what did the blind man say? I want to see. I want to see. Why does Jesus ask us questions he knows the answer to? See what you See what we, he wants to know where we're at. What wow. we call it, guys, a lot of us gut check. So why are you here? What do you want? And this and and how about this? Think about this, too. The fact that this is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the beginning and he is the end. He he was there to to speak creation into existence. And he has so much so much compassion for us as human beings that he would lower himself to this situation to turn around and say to two human beings. What are you seeking? What can I do for you? That, that's huge. So if the answer is like the early disciples, and by the way, they said the right thing. This is good. You may have never looked at this the same way. So they said to him, where are you staying? Rabbi, where are you going? Because wherever you're going and wherever you're going to stay, that's where we want to go. We were here. And John the Baptist said you were coming and he says you're here, that you're the Lamb of God. And since you just asked us what we're seeking, we're seeking you. Wherever you're going, we want to go. And see, that, that's the thing that, that, that all these Bible studies have been about is for us to finally stop doing the bare minimum and seeing if we can just get a little, just if I can just, just to get enough of Jesus not to go to hell. And I see this a lot and I used to be this person. First of all, I didn't, I, I, I lived a life of just, like I said a demonic faith. And then you kind of get to the point where you're like, yeah, I really don't want to go to hell. I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to believe in hell and want to go there. I at least understand people that don't believe it. At least that makes more sense. But to say you believe it and then not be afraid of it is kind of kind of nutty. But that never really works, does it? Remember what I said before? Uh, I tried to learn from let me tell you what doesn't really work is parenting. Telling your kids not to do something because something bad is going to happen to them. They just don't believe it's going to. What 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 normally works is when you say, "Don't do this because it grieves God's heart." Introduce them to Jesus. Introduce them to the Great I Am. And when you get to where you know Jesus and you really experience Jesus, then grieving His heart, in my opinion, has been much more effective than me trying not to get in trouble. Because I always seem to find some way to think I'm not going to get in trouble. I got news for you. I did a a lot of bad things in my life that I got away with from an earthly standpoint. Didn't nobody catch me. I remember thinking that I didn't dishonor my parents as long as they didn't know about it. <laughs> you see all the justification you start having. So that can't really be the motivation. What the motivation has to be for all of us is I want to experience you, Jesus, in your fullness. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. I want to be in good standing with you because I love you and I think you're better than sin. I think you're better than the world. I think when I get to know you, wherever you're going, I want to go stay there. Because when I go there and stay with you, everything I'm confused about makes sense. I got news for you of all the things I've ever tried in my life, Jesus is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. I want to be where you are. I I want to be where you are. I will tell you this. And I don't know what it was. I even text Sherry about it. I said, I don't, I don't know what happened last night. I don't fully understand it, but, but it's starting to come to me now. I kid you not. I was woke up in the middle of the night last night with the Holy Spirit saying over and over again, I don't make people partially righteous. I make them fully righteous. I got up and I was walking around going, why am I hearing this? And I kept hearing over and over. I don't make you partially righteous. I make you fully righteous. Don't let the adversary come and tell you anything different. I don't go out and partially change people. I fully change people. That woke me up in the middle of the night hearing that over and over again. I remember getting up kind of confused going, where am I hearing this? Did I dream this? And it was in my head. I, I remember when I finally got up a couple hours later and was getting in the shower, still hearing, I don't make you partially righteous. I make people fully righteous. I am fully righteous. There's no partial experience with me. If it's been partial, then you don't fully know me. Then then when I say where I'm going, you go where I'm going. And they answered that. And you know what I love about it? Man, if y'all don't love this, I don't know what I can do for you today. (laughs) They indicated their desire to spend in-depth time with Jesus rather than to have a momentary exchange of words on a road. Hey, Jesus, this ain't good enough. Have you ever had that with somebody you really want to spend time with? Hey, we're stand- it's how awkward it is. We're standing out here on the street. Let's go sit down somewhere. Where are you going? Well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm going down here. You wanna go with me? Yeah, I want to go with you. So we can have some intimate time together. And so they didn't want a momentary exchange. Keep in mind, they're facing the Lamb of God. John's already told them, they're facing God. If you see me, you've seen the Father, and you know what they say? Where are you going? You ask so you, you want to stand, you're actually gonna ask. See, they probably stood there awkwardly, and then the King of Kings turned and said, What are you seeking? You ever have that happen with somebody you really want to meet? Oh goodness, they've given me now the permission to say something. Think about somebody you really want to meet, and all they said, Hey man, what's going on? What can I do for you? Now you go, you've opened the door, and then you and then you get to say all the things you want to say. Well, this is it. So he opens a door and they say, Where are you staying? We don't, let's not just stand around right here. You're walking somewhere. Where are you going? Let's sit down. And so they said what? And this is so, so good. Y'all, if you don't love Jesus right here, you know what he didn't say? Well, now I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I got 10 minutes. You know what he says? Come. Come and you will see. Come on, let's go. So you mean to tell me the king of kings And the Lord of Lords, when when I say to him, I want to be where you are, he says, okay. Okay. Why do you think that he kept telling us over and over again, we see this throughout scripture. What does he keep telling us over and over again? If you seek me, you'll find me. You know what that means? Jesus doesn't play hide and seek. If you seek me, good luck. You may or may not find me. So if you haven't found him or I haven't found him, it's not because he doesn't have a desire for me to find him. You're not seeking him. So, so it's time today to say we acknowledge you as the Lamb of God. We acknowledge you as the only hope for us. We acknowledge you as redemption. And you know what? We want to know where you're going. We want to know where you are. And I want to be where you are. I don't want to have just a momentarily cultural Christian exchange with you that thinks I've, I've found out enough about you that maybe I won't go to hell. But anything beyond this, Jesus, I mean, you know, some people have this attitude with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, good to see you. What are you seeking? Will you please not send me to hell? Would you like to come where I'm going? I really don't want to go where you're going because I got other things I want to do. But please don't let me go to hell. I don't care that much about you. I just want you to do for me. You know, it's the way you, you, you ever get that feeling sometimes. Maybe you've been somebody that's been blessed. You know, the biggest problem I find with people that have been blessed that have a lot of wealth. You know why a lot of times it's hard to get them in the church like Jesus talked about? Because everybody's always wanting something from them. They don't care about them. They don't love them. They just want their money. And then they think the church must feel the same way. Now, I'm not saying the church does, but that's what they think. Look, I have sat down with many a wealthy man that doesn't attend church and they all say the same thing. They just want my money. Now, that's that's an excuse a lot of times because the church may never have indicated that. But think about how they felt about people when the the surface relationship was simply, I want you to give me something, but I really got no interest in you. How does that make you feel when you have that experience? You ever ever have those people you go, man, every time I'm around them, all they do is want something from me. They don't really care about me. They just want something. But then you feel much different, don't you? I know I do. If somebody opens up themselves to me and I can tell they genuinely care about me, they have anything I got. And you know what Jesus is saying? You seek me and I know your heart. Come and you will see. I'll give you everything. I don't partially make you partially righteous. I make you fully righteous. So, when he's asking you today, what are you seeking? Do you truly not just say, but you truly live? I want to go where you're going. I want you fully. I don't just believe in you. I submit to you and I want to belong to you. And I want to experience everything you have for me. And Jesus says, you got that kind of attitude. Think think about the military leader who told Jesus, as we'll find out, that he didn't even need to go to the house to heal his servant. You don't even have to go. I tell my military guys what to do and they do it. You're completely in charge. Whatever you say will be done. And to the centurion he said, no, I haven't found faith like that anywhere. He understood who Jesus was and how powerful Jesus was and he said Lord you can do anything you want to thank you for giving me the time of day I'm not worthy for you to come into my house but wherever you want to go I'll go with you is that your attitude today for the Lamb of God let's pray Lord thank you for today thank you for this incredible message thank you Lord for for saying to us and asking us the question, what are we seeking? And we say, we we want to know where you're going. And you don't say, no, I don't have time for that. I got a lot going on. You say, come, come and see. Anyone who desires to know you can know you, Lord. You do not withhold yourself from us. Thank you, Lord, for coming and making us fully righteous. All of us who want to receive you and submit to your authority and repent of our sin. You said, Lord, you have paid the price and that you'll save us. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody right now watching this or listening to this or in this room that hasn't correctly answered the question, what are you seeking? Right now, you'll say to Jesus, Lord, I seek you. I I believe you are the Lamb of God. I believe you are the final sacrifice. I thank you for going to the cross in my place. I seek forgiveness, Lord. I repent of my sin. I turn a 180 from sin and I turn to you and I want to know where you're going. I'm going to leave sin and go to you. And you said, if I confess you as my Lord, that now I belong to you, that you'd save me. He will. I don't know the sincerity of your heart, but He does. If, if today's been the first time that you've, you said, I will take the sacrifice provided by the Lamb of God, I want to know Jesus. I have repented of my sin. I have confessed him as Lord and I will be baptized publicly and I will show the world that I belong to Jesus. But you need help on what to do next. Just, just reach out to me, Rick at RickandBaba.com. Any questions, any way I can help you, I'm happy to do so. Lord, thank you for the decisions that certainly have been made today. And I pray that you confirm them, and I pray, Lord, that you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.